episode seven. We're still here. <laughs> We're still recording. This one was an absolute cracker. Uh, we had smoke alarms going off from vape. We had a lot of beers polished off throughout the um, sitting. I think we ended up going for about three hours pre-editing, but yeah, it was just so much fun to do. And um, he was he's definitely someone that we've wanted to get on for ages, just the amount of stories he's got. So uh, yeah, I hope you guys really enjoy. Um, and without further ado, Uncle Maverick. Welcome to the Montana Project, oh, Uncle, we Uncle we Maverick. Started, have we? <laughs> <laughs> We've been recording for a bit, but I just like to like to settle in and, and yeah, get get the guests comfy, comfy, and that's the thing. I just realised I was planning on cracking a beer for the start of it, but <laughs> it's already cracked. <laughs> <laughs> no, look, I'm happy to be here, and um, I'm really yeah honoured that you'd sort of want to have me on on, on your show. But it's a really good opportunity for us to catch up and have yeah. a good chat. Well, one of the I guess the best things with this is the fact that uh, to to get mates on and that sort of thing, because ultimately like that is our goal just to catch up with people or, or talk to people that interest us. And when we're going through the, um, the, I guess the list of people who I'd love to chat to, I was like, yeah, yeah he's definitely on there. So obviously uncle Maverick's not your real name. We won't, we won't disclose that, <laughs> but um, yeah, I was thinking actually with the name of Maverick, it sort of occurred this time last year. It was that it was at Reese's Bucks party. Yeah, I believe so. I, I think it was decided uh, in in my absence, but uh, it was obviously <laughs> as a result of stuck uh, <laughs> of my attire, perhaps. And yeah, I think you're rocking some some fresh aviators. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, it was the '80s suit sort of ridiculous costume of. Uh, <laughs> of, of the event as you might yeah, say yeah yeah so we we dressed up on the first day for that and um we went up to Cairns. very big but fun weekend and um yeah we, we all had to wear baggy suits on the way up and that was good fun and i think you you rocked up uh on the flight after yeah so how was that how was that being on the plane <laughs> yeah by myself at least if i had been in a group you know it would have <laughs> i would have blended in a bit you know yeah. people would have understood my case but yeah i was just a solo player with uh old suit with shoulder pads and <laughs> massive aviators did, and did you get did you get some like did you get some strange looks on the plane and stuff or like going through um the security check-in and stuff i did and i just i did not take my sunglasses off the whole time <laughs> i was just hiding behind them just chilling out um and i was surprised actually like the, the party was pretty advanced by the time i got there you yeah know, got the boys were on the bus pretty early i believe yeah, yeah. on the flight drinking from the morning yeah so. i think we, I think we, the bus rocked up out the front of our place at like 3 a.m. And it was, it was, entry to the bus was, the cost of entry, sorry, was um, a shot of fireball. And then once we were on there, we had a carton of 4X gold or a couple of cartons of 4X gold, but no one decided to put them in the fridge the night before. So yeah, three in the morning <laughs> drinking warm beers on the way to the airport. And oh my yeah, goodness. yeah, but it was, it was an awesome weekend. So much fun. So yeah. And this Friday coming, we're doing it. We're doing it again. Oh yeah. 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 <laughs> so we're heading up to, um, to Noosa and it's going to be, going to be good. Apparently, um, we, oh, you saw, do you see that video that went up of the, the boat the cruise that we're doing? Did not. Like no. Catalina. Yeah. It looks fun. Yeah, it looks cool. good. Yeah. <laughs> was it like a bit of a booze cruise type? I think so, but yeah. they have like a DJ and stuff. I, I believe it's called Catalina 
river cruise or something like that but yeah it, it's gonna be fun so is it is it chartered just for our event or is it just like uh, they got every group of oh, people from everywhere i think it's i think it's open we just had to purchase tickets online but um it looks like it holds probably 300 maybe max um and we've i think we've got 20 odd going up but yeah it's gonna be fun regardless but the maverick side obviously came from reese's bucks but the uncle part prior to it was <laughs> come i guess uh, with with my dad having having no siblings and all that sort of stuff it's probably you're the closest thing to that and growing up i think oh i can't remember you would have been around since i was born surely well pretty i believe you're about three i think yeah um i remember your dad was just a couple couple years older than me like i think i think he was like 26 or something and to us yeah when i first met him it was like oh 26 he's like really old <laughs> you know <laughs> yeah um and i was probably like 22 or 20 you know something basic but we sort of had this block of units and i don't know melrose place is probably a bit of an outdated analogy these days but we sort of everybody was young in the in the flats and so we all sort of became friends and, yeah uh, we used to get together um we had like a, a jetty out the back and you know on, the, on a friday or saturday night we put speakers up by the windows and head down one person go down and start drinking and then everyone had come out of the units and we just it was all, like it was like the bat signal of, yeah. of <laughs> pretty well of the, um, the everyone knew it was on yeah and, then, uh, you, you and i remember that yeah we I started hanging out with your dad and then you know i i didn't really know many young people either i didn't have any young sort of brothers or sisters um, or, you know, cousins or nephews or anything at the time. Mm. Um, but then we sort of, we used to take you guys out to sort of try and meet women. It was kind of, (laughs) (laughs) but it didn't, was never really that successful, but you know, you'd always get some, you know, have a chat and, oh, those kids are cute and stuff like that. And, and at first icebreakers, (laughs) that's right. (laughs) Icebreakers. And then, yeah, I sort of like, at first I was, because I didn't have a younger, you know, young people in my life. It was kind of, I was even a little bit awkward when I met you guys at first and then, you know, we just sort of hanging out. We just, you guys became like the, you know, sort of, you know, my nephews and stuff like that. Yeah, yeah. Over the years, you know, we did lots, heaps of stuff together. Um, You know, I think um, regrettably or or your father wasn't too happy when I said that um, I teach you how to make bombs when you turn 18 or something. (laughs) I think I, I was trying to think of this prior to the episode and I was like, it must have been young, but I remember clearly being like, have you, have you boys heard of the book, uh, Anarchist Cookbook? <laughs> <laughs> and so for anyone that doesn't know, it's just a, a pretty much a, I think it's like a PDF document and it's essentially any mischief you want to get up to, you can definitely go check it out on there. <laughs> yeah, totally. I, it was, I, I did a little bit of research prior to the podcast because I thought, yeah, like, what is that book? Is it just a, a I think it was like a text document back in the day. Yeah. I believe it was actually like a fully published book. And oh, really? came out in the... Maybe it was the late seventies or early eighties, yeah. so it had been around for quite a while. Yeah, yeah. Um, I I know you did have some um, restraint though, because I remember you talking about a potato cannon at one stage, and we we're probably like five and seven at the time. You're like, you got to be at least eleven for this one. So <laughs> yeah. we'll, we'll wait a couple of years, and then you can then you can hear about that one. But what? Because obviously you having your brother, or I don't know if it's your name. <laughs> I can I can bleep that out. <laughs> yeah, no having having a brother growing up obviously you get up to mischief all the time as well so what was that having that mindset as well i know there was like lost eyebrows and yes we kind of i guess we sort of grew up we had like a nature strip out the back of the house we had a bit of bushland back there Mm. so kind of our escape was to just head down into the bush and then and just get up to mischief basically so 
Yeah, one of the things that was pretty interesting to me was, um, you know, making things go boom. And uh, <laughs> it was just a matter of time of like just finding information and then just seeing what it could be formulated in my dad's garage. Yeah. And, uh, and then heading down there and then just trying to see what we could do. I mean, I won't sort of, it's not, we're not dealing with AMFO or anything like that. You know, yeah. it's probably the equivalent of, of you know, fireworks to, to yeah. you know, the yeah. explosive standards. But it was just fun mischief as, as young people, although maybe the yabbies down the creek didn't think so. But... <laughs> They're just confident. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So it, just part of my mischievous uh, uh, I, younger years, I guess. I don't know whether it's all boys growing up or boys with brothers and stuff, but I found myself always making weapons. Like I was making bow and arrows and like sharpening sticks just to just to do anything and like never in the, with the intention of actually hurting something it's just sort of seems like something you do and even like making sparkler bombs and match bombs and stuff nothing like you said that was terribly explosive but yeah just just for the fun of it i guess absolutely i think it's all part of experimenting and and you know like it's kind of you know, it's even a scientific aspect to it. You know, you watch Mythbusters <laughs> and they blow stuff up. It's kind of uh, human nature. Sorry about that. Yeah, um, you're right. It's all good. I'll just, um, yeah, I might put my phone on silent. Yeah, it's all good. The, the joys of recording is the fact that, like, this sort of stuff, you can just chop, split it in that sort of thing. Yeah, yeah, no, too easy. Yeah, I just, yeah, didn't even think of that, but that's all good. Yeah, that's all good. Cut it out. Um, so... When you guys were living in the complex, there was a certain or um, unit blocks. There was a certain point where you guys almost had taken over like every single like it was, it was there was like six or eight, and you top bottom left to right. It was it was like it was like a schoolies on steroids. <laughs> yeah, totally. It was it was it was kind of a cool community. Like I remember at one point we used to do a bit of land gaming there, which yeah. is you know. Um, they might do it still these days, but back in the day, that was sort of the best way to do multiplayer gaming. We'd yeah. bring our CRT monitors in and put them on desks. Yeah. And I'd up running like blue network leads, like through the, all the windows and all the different apartments. So everyone had room and then eventually ended up being like the ISP for the building. Yeah. <laughs> Just selling people like my broadband internet at discounted rate. <laughs> uh, it was, um, but yeah, it was a really pretty good social situation. Everyone was, um, was sort of friendly and um, yeah. It was it was an awesome spot as well because like obviously you guys were on the canal and you had access to that jetty like you're saying as well and like the the times like I remember because I yeah I'm I think I would have been about six I think but like some of the some of the core memories from it I had was like remember the, remember the um were the sewer rats what were they called the uh, yeah. the water rats water rats water yeah rats. and then like I was terrified of them and then I remember you telling me like oh no it's just splinter yeah. <laughs> Splint- <laughs> so a- anyone that's not familiar with splinter is from um, Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles <laughs> Master Splinter but after that I, I think I get uh, gained a bit more confidence with the um, <laughs> the I canal I tried to animals. make a water rat trap at one place I don't know if you remember that I- oh really yeah at, the, at my front door it was it was totally elaborate and overdone and i never <laughs> caught a water rat with it but i had like a mouse trap with a big net yeah and with a bit of cheese on it so that the rat would come in and like try and take the cheese and then it would actually the mouse trap as it triggered would pull a pin from the counterway <laughs> that would drop down and then lift the net up to catch the rat and did you ever see because you, you'd, you'd see them occasionally scurrying like down the bottom near the water and that sort of thing did they ever come up to the actual units or 
To be honest, I, I very rarely ever ever saw them. I just heard about them, so I'm not sure they could be kind of in a, like an elusive Bigfoot or something. Davo yeah. used to see them all the time, you know. <laughs> Davo, geez, I wonder what he's up to. Yeah, no, it was. It um, making those traps obviously, it's and I guess it stemmed from when you're growing up and just making, not necessarily bombs, but like just um, any means of things. But those, I remember you used to make the hot air balloons. Yeah. And do, do you want to run through how you made them? Because <laughs> a lot of they've led to a lot of interesting stories. <laughs> this is this is true. Um, yeah, in hindsight, probably not the smartest thing I've ever done. But you know, sometimes we learn things from it. From this it. this is also not advice for young people. It's more of a <laughs> this is a story that <laughs> yeah that you run into and yeah. It's but a, please explain how it's look, done. <laughs> I think I think my most interesting stories are like you know when my projects go hilariously wrong. Yeah. Uh, in this case, yeah. So we used to make these hot air balloons, which was I thought was kind of cool. They were a bit of a party trick and yeah. You'd um basically get a garbage bag and um you know put a put a couple of stiff bits of wire in between sort of across the bottom and then you'd sort of make like a little parcel with some wire and put a fire lighter in there and hook it hook it up to the to the underside. Mm. Um, you'd light these things up and then they fill up with air and, and then off they go. I remember at my parents' house we used to we had like a potato gun, so you know we had that sort of natural land off the back end. So we used to have parties and. We'd launch these things up and then we'd try and shoot them out of the air with the potato cannon. <laughs> I don't think we ever hit any, but it was yeah. a lot of fun trying. I think um, they're kind of, if you can imagine like the Chinese lanterns, very, very similar to that, but on a larger scale essentially because you've got a, a um, large plastic bag sort of thing. Yeah. Um, what was was Strad probably the worst? <laughs> 100%. Look, it's, and, and I will say like it's this is a story that everyone loves to hear yeah. and um you know but it was pretty real for me like it was like a pretty full-on situation but uh uh anyway so i guess i'll start off with the fact that you know we we're camping on north Australia. it was easter a lot of campus a lot of campus there um and we we're having an awesome camping trip too it was like you know really good really good vibes and you know we just sort of you know when you sort of just start to figure out camping i don't know like the first few camping trips i did as a child as you know teenager and that you'd sort of throw a can on the fire and you'd just be like ultimate survivor you'd barely yeah. you know eat yeah. properly or anything we were in a good groove you know it was a good trip and i was out there with um sort of my new girlfriend at the time and her friends so there's also <laughs> that you know additional pressure that you know you just don't want to make a decent impression so yeah. your friends don't think you're an idiot anyway one of his mates was there and i'm like oh yeah we're just having a few drinks and talking oh yeah just to track these things out we can make these hot air balloons and the flies like, yeah for real yeah yeah cool let's do it and uh so yeah we we made um so i sat down and sort of engineered these these balloons and he had this other idea where he would sort of save a bit of weight and all that and uh, it was a little bit of an engineering experiment i thought at the time and it was yeah. a bit of bit of fun and giggles and we fired this thing off and and up she went and then she sort of just got above the tree line yeah and it was sort of like there was this pocket of eddies or whatever where the wind wasn't really blowing until it got above there and then it just started flipping and it went like like <laughs> rock flipping around and then it went maybe a few hundred meters like into really dense bushland and then it just fell down and i'm just like okay this is could be could be dodgy um but you know like fingers crossed you know it lands somewhere that's not going to actually do anything yeah 
And then um, my girlfriend's friend started freaking out. Oh, what the hell are you doing? And I was like, oh, yeah, okay. So I was just trying to manage the situation a little bit. And then within about a minute, 30 seconds to a minute, like suddenly we just, we saw a fire. And then like maybe a minute later, like an entire tree, like a big tree was all, all the leaves were burning and it just started spreading. And you could just see it from everywhere. It was, and I just had this like, sense of like impending doom like this is like the most fucked thing i've ever done yeah yeah you can swear as well yeah. we, we, we've ticked a little explicit thing on spotify so go, go to town <laughs> and uh, i was just suddenly i just sort of went into like damage control big time like where it was it was impossible for us to have tried to get out well it was um totally impractical for us to try and get out there it was very thick bush yeah um and it was quite you, uh, a distance you mean, to, you mean to get in there to put it out yeah to try yeah. and do anything yeah and, and to be honest it came up went up so quick that mm. there was very little we could have done but maybe there was like you know there would have been a you know a minute before it actually fully lit up but there was no way we would have got out there or did anything but we looked at it and i thought about it i remember and um it was just like you know like couple hundred meters of you know basically machete bushland to try and get through yeah yeah um and then anyway so i, I sort of went into damage control and i could see that it wasn't going out and we just had to get out of there uh so i think we sort of we put i grabbed the girls and everyone put them in a car and then we sort of drove out to i think amity point or something and then got them we know it was this was a safe place for them and then me and the other guy that was sort of doing it together we went back in to pick up the tents and stuff and yeah by the time we got back there's just it was almost like you could just see fire everywhere like really? in every different direction of the horizon <laughs> and uh and then we sort of went in there and, and we just quickly packed through the tents in and, and threw it in the car and then yeah. we basically sat the night out in the in the car <laughs> that uh, must have been a sleepless day. night like. uh, it was yeah it, it was it was pretty it was really messed up at the time and it was it, overall like it's definitely one of the experiences of my life that I would, you know, rather have not had. But you just can't choose <laughs> think, these things. I think you wore it pretty well, though. Like, I I reckon I was quite young at the time to actually sort of um, understand what was going on and that sort of thing. But, yeah, to see that you sort of fronted up to the, the mistake and sort of took it on board and, and fortunately, I think, was with the like once the helicopters and stuff got called the way that actually fell into was it like national park or something like that yeah so basically what happened is when we got on the ferry the first ferry back the cops were coming through and they they someone had put out another plate down and they <laughs> pulled me in and i just I, I just went into the cop station i just just said yeah it was me and yeah um you know it was a fuck up you know my bad and and uh i didn't involve anyone else in it just said it was me solo um even though my lawyer sort of advised that probably wasn't the best thing to do. but uh, And, you know, obviously the lawyers will say, well, you shouldn't say anything. But the problem was is there was no point dragging everyone else through it. I knew what the outcome was going to be. Yeah. Um, and, you know, you know, you fuck up. Just, I don't know. That's kind of my attitude, you know. Um, I don't want to try and bullshit and drag people through stuff over that sort of thing. It was my mistake. Um, but, so, yeah, like, um, it was a big fire. Um, there was, like, over 300 campers evacuated. Um, they had helicopters like fire bombing. They had bulldozers out. There were a number of fire units on there, and, yeah. <laughs> and I kind of went into this stage of limbo for I don't know. It was six months or something where that you know we were trying to figure out. Like I got a lawyer and and um, you know what what the conditions were because if it's national park, then you're up for the cost of 
um, potentially re- regenerating the land and mm. then the cost of um, putting out the fire yep. as well. Yep. And like I the think the fire control, department yeah. had estimated it was like $200,000 or something. <laughs> yeah, to put out the fire. And I was yeah. very lucky that no one was injured mm. or no property, like personal property houses were burned down or anything like that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, it was it was a big fire. There was even like, I remember seeing afterwards, there's like, you know, wildlife articles about, you know, like the how the devastation to the wildlife and stuff. But really the at the time, and I probably wasn't as aware of that at the time, but it was a tinderbox. And I think some of the fire departments came out and said, yeah, like the, the place was so dry, mm. and, you know, mm. and there are conditions that, you really totally have to expect because it totally, I had never seen anything in my life like just for something to just burn up. What's, so, so what time of year was it? Like was it? It was Easter. Yeah. yeah. Easter's not, there's never any really firebands yeah, like, and stuff, eh? That's right. Like Easter's like traditionally rainy yeah, all the time. Yeah. But. Um, not that not year. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. And then, um, so I had to go to, anyway, it turned out, at the end of it all that it wasn't national park um and most of the uh facts were all kind of you know luckily like lining up in my favor that i'll mm. probably get done with unauthorized lighting of fire yeah so. and you weren't like doing out of a an arsonist kind of mentality no, yeah <laughs> it was it was yeah it was i was not authorized to put a fire in a balloon and light it over there next to the tree i guess that's kind of the scheme of it it would have been funny if you had to like explain how it happened and then you like start re- remaking the balloon <laughs> you're like well <laughs> i want to know my 30th birthday was like a few years after that yeah and um i remember my mate that i was involved with on the fire on the day comes and brings me a present with our garbage bags and fire lighters and like, <laughs> you bastard yeah i don't want to see these things again because there was I, I remember being when when i was younger i remember there was like a friday or saturday night or something that on a far smaller scale, one of the one of the palm trees out outside of the outside of the unit block, and it was it was going off beautifully. And you used to actually put a fuse on them as well. That was kind of cool. Yeah, I, that, I think we put. Yeah, I put it like a. Sometimes I put like a, a bunger or something like that. Yeah, yeah, make. like a bunger with a, a cigarette, and like by the time the cigarette burnt out, yeah, yeah, <laughs> yeah it would set the fuse. They see all the stuff. <laughs> yeah, it's coming back, mate. Yeah. You learn. Well yeah. done. You've been paying attention. Yeah, <laughs> I, I also remember seeing people on that canal where you guys live, like someone would be throwing the footy around and kicked it out, like to the middle of the canal. And this is probably like 10, 11 o'clock at night, like. Like knowing how many bull sharks are in there, that's wild, hey. Yeah, totally. <laughs> it's I would never crazy. go in the water there at night. Yeah. <laughs> so running into these issues, was that something that like you had when you're sort of growing up, my age, and that sort of thing as well? Whether you found yourself in st- not strife with the police, but like just running into um, events where it was from something that you thought. All right, I might design this and then see how it goes, and then. Yeah, I think um, like I'm always, I guess that there's definitely a creative side to it. Um, yeah. Um, maybe a mischievous side. I guess I got sort of got to a point. Uh, in my life where, I, I sort of I, I started questioning and challenging all the rules, just being a bit rebellious, you know. <laughs> like I just sort of like, well, you know, how much of this is is um you know just there for the lowest common denominator like, mm. for example and you know should they apply to all of us and obviously in some cases it should <laughs> as, as i found out <laughs> but um yeah and so 
excuse me, I'm just grabbing a beer. <laughs> no, all good, all good. Yeah, I, I don't know. It's sort of just my character in a way that if I was to put it down to something, as to why I end up with these, you know, because I have quite a few in hilariously. This is probably one that I think is a bit more serious, but I have a yeah. lot of hilarious failures. Do you um, think? Do you think? Are the stories as funny to you as they are to like not so much this one because this one is probably quite uh quite challenging to get through but yeah the um the stories that everyone like if you if you're happy to elaborate on this one one of the funniest stories i found was that when um you baked baked a special batch of cookies for your parents <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> well not not specifically for your parents but like is that as funny to you as it is now. yeah like, that's a good one even my parents laugh at that one because ha- cool. how old were you when that happened or like yeah explain the story cause... okay yeah I, I think maybe late teens yeah um so still living at home at the time and uh yeah so i was um you know making some cookies as you do i got a <laughs> nice big batch of leaf or something and yeah. decided to you know test out a new recipe with shortbread or whatever so I was there making these cookies and at the time like my parents were sort of going away a lot sailing mm. um so i didn't sort of you know they weren't home every night and i didn't know when they were going to be home so i was sort of you know racking up these big batches and filling the ovens up because i had a fair, <laughs> fairly big sizable amount and my mum comes home and i'm kind of like oh hey mum all right well <laughs> look she's like oh what are you cooking and i'm like oh actually i'm making marijuana cookies i just anyway what am i gonna say yeah. you know like here it is red-handed you know that's it she's like oh okay i'm like okay this is going all right and uh and she says oh well you know i've been doing you know yoga teaching for a while and i hear that you know some of my students reckon that sort of helps you to sort of you know have spiritual experiences yeah, or something open like up. that open <laughs> up or something and i don't like smoking or anything like that so you know i might be interested can i try one and i'm like yeah okay that, that's fine and uh so yeah when the cookies come out of the oven i gave my mum one and then <laughs> my dad comes home so yeah he's um my father's a you know german sort of very hard line sort of you know fact matter of fact sort of fellow and uh yeah he came in and um he was definitely the one that i would be sort of a little bit re- less reluctant to tell but he comes <laughs> in uh hi carl what are you cooking and I sort of, my mum was there too. And I'm like, you know, you're, you're in this thing. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> you know, I looked at her. She, she didn't say a word. So I'm like, oh, they're, they're herbal cookies. <laughs> and, yeah. And so he's like, can I try one? And I kind of look back at my mum. was like, you know, you're going to say something? Yeah. She didn't say anything? <laughs> sure, sure. Meanwhile, she's just spaced out. That's why she couldn't <laughs> say anything. <laughs> well, well, the funny thing was, is that it, there was like a, Ah, oh, there was a pretty big delay. So he had one and I think my mum had already sort of had one at maybe like it was 15 minutes or 20 minutes before and she wasn't feeling anything. And, and I sort of thought, oh, you know, they, they could be duds. And um, I was smoking pretty regular at the time. And I think like an hour passed or so. Um, and I only had one. And I think by that time, mum's like, oh, they're not really working. Can I have some more? And, <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, okay. I think she had like three or something. Um, and I was smoking a, a bit at that time and, I had one and, and I was pretty smashed when they kicked in. I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie. I feel like I feel like any story with edibles when someone's like, Yeah, I thought they were duds, so I decided to have another, that's when it gets exciting. <laughs> that's where it goes wrong. Yeah, totally. sorry, continue that. <laughs> <laughs> Absolutely. 
Yeah, but it wasn't like, uh, so yeah, anyway, needless to say, my mum was very stoned um, <laughs> and it was not really a pleasant experience for her at all. I sort of had to stay up with her for a while and just sort of remind her that she was okay and you know the world, <laughs> the sky wasn't falling and that yeah. sort of stuff, I think till about one in the morning um, and then she went to bed and, and then I think my dad had been drinking, so he sort of, apparently he sort of got up in the night and sort of woke up and then felt like he was going to die or something and just went back to sleep and then they talked about <laughs> it in the morning and yeah and then how, they, how cliche for like just a german dad just like oh yeah i feel like i'm gonna die i'll go back to bed <laughs> yeah, uh, that's just don't talk to anyone about I'll, I'll be fine <laughs> yeah <laughs> that's it you know your time's come your time's come i don't know yeah that's 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 the way it was described to me and then my mum just came and said me the next day and just said not not again never mm. again and that was it <laughs> again oh, until my brother's bucks party when i did, did the best oh sorry the um my brother's wedding when i did the best man speech and then brought it up then <laughs> <laughs> oh it, it, it's kind of cool like for myself to grow up and then watch like your friend group essentially and like some of your mates like it's everyone sort of revolves around each other to end up in situations where they're in a bit of mischief and that sort of thing like you've been business partners with some of them and, and others have just played pranks in you. And, and there's so many stories that I've heard over the years that like I was I was almost unsure as to like what I should actually try to pick to have a chat about. And then is, it, is there anything that stands out to you? Like I know like obviously the PO box was yep. definitely on my list and your mailbox was definitely yeah. on the way <laughs> so is it any or like the, those those two are connected i, I can, I can oh they are those. connected okay well, kind of um vaguely but yeah um, <laughs> they both have box in it <laughs> they're, they're certainly like yeah high profile ones and i mean we you know we'll go through them and don't hey, i, I got time, I got time. so <laughs> po box how, how did that start and what happened okay so Inevitably, it was a bit of a storm in a teacup, but it was a <laughs> high-profile storm in a teacup. Yeah. Uh, basically, what happened is, is we sort of have like a, a mail business. And my dad was eventually, he sort of took off sailing around the world and I sort of got stuck with his mail. And I'm like, well, there's a lot of people like this. You know, they travel around, they're expats or whatever. So we set up a bit of a website and, you know, we're just handling people's mail off the internet. So this one company approached us and um, I'm not sure, you know, what like privacy protection or domain protection is so basically what happens is they have every domain website has what's called a who is record and that who is record has you know the basically the owner information of the website so with most of your website providers when you're checking out you can sort of tick a box and say i want to make this website anonymous and then uh what they do is then they put in some generic details into the who is record so they just engaged us and said, hey, look, we'll pay you. You get the mail, just shred it for us. And then, you know, that's probably their way of sort of outsourcing any legal liability that if like legal papers or whatever gets served to them, that they, yeah. know, they never got it. Um, because I guess that's how it sort of works with internet law or whatever. So anyway, it didn't seem like a big deal to us. Like we just sort of, you know, shred some mail. And we get paid for it, so whatever, you know, it's not, but the rest is, as far as I'm aware, it's not illegal. Yeah. Um, and uh, so, you know, money for nothing, really. So anyway, as it turns out that, you know, like normal people like you and me might not want to have our details on the internet, right? So we might tick it and say, I want to stay, it's like being an unlisted phone number. Yeah. But also people that are doing things like 
terrorists or other things like that, <laughs> they also want to remain unlisted, right? Yeah. So as it turns out, then eventually over the like, you know, several months afterwards, we ended up having, you know, Queensland police, federal police, pharmaceutical goods association, uh, uh, pharmaceutical goods association or whatever, all coming to our garage. And then walk in and check out our operation, which is basically just a scanner in the garage. Yeah. Right? Um, and then, so it was sort of getting a bit more of a hassle than I was sort of thinking it was worth. But no, none of them ever indicated that what we were doing was wrong. They just had to sort of cite it and make sure it was not associated. But how, how did they, so they can see that something's getting sent to you guys, but after that, that they can't see. Is that, is that... Yeah, so like basically, how, how do they know to come to you? So they just check the who is record, right? So yeah. somebody sets out a website and then it's got our PO box. Yeah. On, yeah, on the gotcha, who is record. Gotcha. So it's yeah, like go yeah. to this PO box, I'll send your mail to this PO box. This is the owner of the website kind <laughs> yeah. of thing. You know, it's just a sort of a a loophole to try and have an unlisted website. Yeah. Um so yeah, then then I think eventually we got notified like that our PO box was like on Interpol and like Russia was like <laughs> had put like a thing down about a website associated with making IEDs and stuff like that. And, well, and anyone that doesn't know, what's an IED? Uh, improvised explosive device. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So that's kind of, yeah, it's our terrorism type stuff. Yeah. But but that was all kind of under the radar. And then I think some, a reporter of The Australian sort of got onto it. Yeah. And um, then suddenly there was an article in The Australian that linked us to... The Muslim Brotherhood, um, <laughs> what was it? It was also bikies in Nobby Beach. Somehow there was, I think there was a rip out the time there was a, like the fire there. And I think there was rumors going around that it's something to do with the bikies. And I don't know, somehow we were linked to them now. Yeah. <laughs> um, I can't remember who else it was. Um, oh, it was even the, the leak, the Hillary Clinton leaks. Yeah. yeah. And <laughs> everything was like, it was like all the bad things in the world were suddenly linked to this PO box. And then... I started doing a bit more investigating. I'm like kind of Googling my PO box and see what's up there. And then I could see like university students had like published theses about like theories about the mailbox. And, <laughs> and then other people had like written about, oh, I've sat out the front waiting, like watching the PO box to see who collects it and see stuff like happening. that. I'm like, oh my God, this is like huge. So, so did you and your business partner only have access to the PO box? Yeah, it's just out the front of the post office. So yeah. we just, yeah, have, have the key to go in and there. But most of the time, because... You know, we, we sort of know the people inside, the, the owners of the PO, of the postal office, because we go there every day. Yeah. They just hold it out the back for us and we just walk straight in. So we don't yeah. actually even use the key at the front of it. So they yeah. probably would have been wasting So it looks time. even more sus because yeah. you're going to the back door. <laughs> well, well, once uh, the Australian broke the story, then, then they had news crews like going into the post office and interviewing the, like, yeah, the, right. the staff yeah. behind the counter. Yeah. And, and all this stuff and <laughs> and then eventually I think one of them got hold of my number and, and then I'm just like, Yeah, okay, well actually this is the deal, you know, we're just yeah, this is what we're, doing. we're just doing it for an like to, to provide this as unlisted service and yeah. And then I just went and did like a interview with him and uh, and he got a photo of me out the front and he said, <laughs> Yeah, I'm just like this is this is it, there's nothing here, you yeah. know. It's just a really small <laughs> business doing nothing it, wrong. Did it did it help with your actual business model of like did you gain more work after that or Well I thought, you know, it's kind of one of those things, all publicity is good publicity, yeah. but we didn't see like a huge spike in, in, in sign ups or anything like mm, that. Mm. Um, yeah. I'm not sure. I think we did have a couple of customers like nervously like ask us about like are you guys associated with yeah. all them and we're yeah. kind of 
but I'd say that it, there was no there was no significant impact um, yeah. on on business. Yeah, is that still something that you've got? Because like obviously, in your line, I've I've always struggled to put what you do for a job. And when someone asks, I'm like, oh, like he's based in IT, done website design, all that sort of like. What are you actually currently doing? Yeah. Okay. It's it's, it's even a hard question for me to yeah. answer. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it's, I guess you know uh, a a role name a role title would be uh, I guess solutions architect. Um, mm-hmm. So I'm I'm very much involved high level um, designing business systems generally. Um, yeah. I I talk to business people and I talk to developers mm. and I try and put uh, do a design together as to what's going to work and then uh, communicate with developers and throughout the project management to get the project built. Mm. Um, so yeah, for instance, if, if you're a business and you want some automation and you want, you know, you've got all these different systems that don't talk to each other or you want a system that, you know, you want a CRM and um, and a system that runs all, you know, handles stuff with clients and whatever else, you come and talk to us and we basically, I do all the talking, I get it all built in the back end, yeah. Yeah, yeah, because I know the, the company I work for utilizes a, a program on our iPads and it pretty much brings everything together, our, our clients, our trades, all that sort of stuff um it works i think i'm pretty sure it works all off email um but if you're making a call up to say you want a carpenter on this date or an electrician on this day and that sort of thing it sends out and it generates reports from that as well so is that so, something along the lines yep. of what yep. you develop yeah 100 percent. so yep. um one of our big projects was for an insurance builder they run heaps of jobs through their um trade portals they basically the entire life cycle runs on software we built. So yeah. from the inject from where it comes from the insurance company, throughout the assessment process, um, then into um, you know works in progress, doing quotes, invoices, orders, yeah, um, even portals where the trades can upload invoices to their orders, and you know just automates everything. You know licensing and permits, making sure that everyone's got the latest tickets and all that sort of stuff. You yeah, know, yeah, right throughout the whole process that, you know, we build systems around that. I, ultimately, we can sort of build anything um, for any business. Um, it's just, just a matter of cost and time and, and you know, and will mm. and want. Mm. Yeah. So we, on, like, on that, are you week to week, you making new things or is it a maintenance thing or...? Yeah, there's probably a bit of both. Yeah. Um, so yeah, we obviously I spend a lot of time doing consultations with new customers that have ideas. Mm-hmm. Um, generally, it starts off with a discovery. Um, so if someone's got an idea, we talk to them about it. We tell them, give them some sort of high levels about stuff that we've done before and whether you know how we feel about the project. If they want to proceed, then they pay for a discovery, which means we actually sit down with all the key stakeholders and have a big meeting for like, you know, four hours or something, depending how big the discovery is and yeah. get all the specs, get an idea in our head about what we want to build. And then we go out and document it all and try and communicate that back to them with a document with estimates as to how long it takes and yeah. what it'll take. Does a, con- yeah. does a consultation cost money for them or is it more of like a, you take the time to then gain their business? Yeah, no, we charge for that for yeah. sure. Yeah. yeah. And it's pretty standard across the industry that way. Um, we always, we usually put in more time than what we charge for, just because you know we, we do want to have an edge and, and really yeah. go, go yeah. beyond to sort of show that we understand what their their um, challenge is and that, that we can provide a really good solution for that. Mm. Um, but yeah, absolutely. And and some discoveries you know can go into multiple discoveries sometimes if they're really big projects. Um, 
then you know it, it can be a lot of invo- there could be a lot of involvement in, in in the research and development and to be honest like the discovery is a really critical aspect of the project because you know planning up front really sort of helps alleviate a lot of challenges down the track mm. you know software projects can go pear-shaped and they can go over budget and stuff so the more planning you do up front the, the more chance you do you have of mitigating any of those risks how often do you see a solid idea but it doesn't have like the the planning behind it uh look i think uh, often you'll see i guess you know new new players come into the market that'll just sort of go in and offer to do things too cheap mm. and then you know that they're going to lose money and that they it's not sustainable mm. and then sometimes they might just pull the pin and then you know that someone gets left with something that's not complete and then they sort of have to revisit it all again and start again um i guess that's what at first like especially when you talk to developers you always ask them how long something will take and you can pretty well times it by four whatever they think it will take right because they always <laughs> they're thinking like okay you connect this to this that won't take that long that won't take long that take too long too long but then what happens is they forget oh but hang on when they when they they'll always encounter something that's unexpected along the way and they'll yep. always be able to solve it but that'll take up like a lion's share of actually the time that it takes to develop it yeah just like little technical details that are just you just wouldn't be aware of until you actually dive into it so yeah i'm basically just the guy that times it by four and then hands back the price or something you know, <laughs> depending who the developer is you know depending on how, how accurate that they are but i sort of i sort of know my team so yeah, yeah. it's it's really interesting to me maybe the last five years or so the amount of companies that are uh i guess creating models where they're utilizing people's stuff like whether it's uber airbnb they're essentially utilizing someone's car someone's house and it's almost like they don't, they don't actually own any of the the products that they're selling i, I guess but yeah, that, I, I find that's but, definitely a trend that's happening. Yeah, I mean, it's it's such a good business model. Mm. I guess the the, um, the only thing I'll say about that, and I think that it, it, it does take, like, especially in the case of Uber and stuff, like, there was a really big, they had they had to have a lot of funding behind them to, to, to get that, to, to change. They essentially had to change the laws, you know, taxi laws and things in, yeah. in, in, in towns. And they had to they had a massive legal team to do all that sort of thing and a lot of these gig sort of economy type things they only work at scale so you know if you just come up with a taxi service and you've only got one driver and you only service in one area then you know no one's going to go there because that driver is going to be tied up on all the jobs all the time or they just yeah. they just you know people just want from that sort of a service they want to be able to just click a button and yeah. get one straight away yeah. and to be able to do that you need to have a massive scale of operation so yeah. it's either it's kind of like uh like uber and all these other big ones they have like big investors that and they pour a lot of money to actually get to that point and once they get to that point they in the case of uber though it wasn't really as it's turned out not the greatest model in the world because once they changed the way that people get taxis and a whole bunch of other players just jumped in and said here's another alternative we'll do it cheaper. like yeah like the dds and olas yeah and absolutely yeah yeah it was, yeah. Uh, so. yeah it's it's a strange one because i remember when they first started coming out and then to counteract it the taxis would be like they'll give you a flat rate and like they'll they'll they were doing it quite cheap as well but i know the fortunate scenario with us oh one of the coolest things actually is these line bikes i love them i think they're awesome I, i'll be riding one home tonight for sure <laughs> <laughs> i do i think they're yeah. good too yeah so so maverick and i live um probably two three k's away from each other and that that's 
the unfortunate thing of being so close yet not getting to catch up in a while and like this is this is one of the benefits i guess from having the podcast is like it creates an opportunity to hang out almost but Indeed. yeah those things are awesome like the amount of times that i'll come home um either from like a local pub or something like that and like <laughs> you're hooking along with your mate that sort of thing as well oh, they're great and it's just you jump on them it's just like riding the clown i know so easy. Well, although not in the case when i uh, rode your dad home a yeah. Little while back. <laughs> yeah so he messaged me i think the following monday or tuesday and he's like oh i'm going i'm going to the doctors i think i think i've got something with my prostate <laughs> and he's because he, he you doubled him back and then he thought he was in strife with something something severe and then they're like oh like no, nah, we we can't really find anything, and then he reckons that he looked around and it was a bit bruised and stuff, and he put two and two together. <laughs> yeah, I don't think the line blakes are designed to um carry two two grown yeah. men on them, and uh, I, I think the back part that he sat on was just like kind of a you know like a little parcel shell. Yeah, yeah. There's there's not. <laughs> and then much we went over a few it. speed bumps. On the way <laughs> <back>. <laughs> You're swerving around trying to yeah. find bumpy stuff. I was, it was, and, and I think the tire was just flat from like the actual weight on it. Yeah. So it was really hard to to, to like go in a straight line. So I'm like swaying all over the road. Yeah, I know. We went down to Tassie over Christmas, and they have the scooters down there, and like they they're far like growing up like i've always been around scooters and skateboards and all that sort of stuff and i jumped on these things and they're fast like to the point where you see some guys coming past where we live and especially with the skateboards i feel like so many people that are riding those don't actually know how to ride a normal skateboard or or aren't as comfortable and they're doing like 40k's an hour like there's no there's no good outcome coming no, out. i'm sure that there has been accidents and there was the whole thing was thrown into question a, a, a few times so um, i haven't ever tried one myself though but there's, i might need to i might to call a pee break yeah yeah no no worries <laughs> we're, we're back on <laughs> now nah, it's not it's not too misty it's all good I feel like I'm in a, a scene of like a James Bond movie. And it's, a bit, it's like you walk into a Cuban like bar or something. Like that. Um, yeah, back, go back far enough, and yeah, even airplanes look like this. You know? yeah. yeah, I think um, I was watching. Oh, what was it? Oh, the Queen's Gambit, that TV show. Um, yeah, and like to to think that you're igniting something in like a pressurized cabin. It's pretty crazy. Yeah. I. One of the cool things I was just thinking about it when we went for a pee break is I think that's our first pee break. Yeah, I know. I I'm think surprised it, this, so is, this is probably the yeah the longest episode so far. But um, <laughs> yeah, there's, there's plenty of firsts so far as well. Like it, it's been cool. It's been such a fun process um, of doing this and just uh, like I think as well just learning about the people that we're looking to have on and just sort of forcing ourselves to research more and and then yeah I guess. Um, yeah, keep keep ourselves accountable to keep learning things. Yeah, no, I think it's a, I think it's a fantastic project, and um, yeah, like really impressed. You guys are um, you know, taking the initiative to just you know go out and do it, even if it's just for some fun, and and yeah, you know, maybe it goes somewhere. And um, but the but the main thing is that you're getting something out of it, you know. So I think yeah, outside of the enjoyment of actually having these conversations, that sort of thing, like. I haven't really put too much time into like trying to work out the algorithm of Spotify and Instagram and all that sort of stuff. I know, I know um, Amy's been quite interested in, in seeing the numbers of it and that sort of thing as well. But yeah, I've, I almost feel like once I record it, I, I, I've been listening to it usually once afterwards. 
um and just to after the editing process just to sort of almost like experience it as a listener um but when when you have conversations you enjoy it so it's a cool way to then listen to it again because yeah so many times i've had a chat with someone and it's been such a good experience to listen to their story and that sort of thing like luke um our uh, mate who was on a few few episodes ago and he was discussing like his noosa 50k like he ran a trail run up in noosa and that sort of thing and yeah just such a cool story but yeah well it's really yeah like a lot of work goes into those sorts of things and be super fit to be able to do that yeah i think one of the one of the cool stories or probably the coolest story that i'm aware of from yourself is the fact that you bought a yacht in was it the caribbean and you sailed it back 3,000 nautical miles. <laughs> yeah, it was about 10,000, close to 10,000. 10,000? Yeah, actually. Yeah, it was a long... Why don't I have 3,000? How, how far is it around the world? Oh, that's a good question. But I'd say probably, I don't know if that's 10,000. You're probably talking four, 30 or 40,000 or something yeah, like that. Yeah, maybe, maybe I had the three because it was a third of it or something. But yeah. Yeah. Did you... So, like you were looking for a while obviously your your um, parents had sailed when you were growing up and that sort of thing did you have much experience with it other than other than crashing a few in the raw water <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh, so I, I did mostly i think i'd only done one like one overnight passage so i i sort of get sometimes i get ideas into my head and i just can't i just have to do it yeah um so i kind of had to you know for a crew and things like that like if people knew sort of if it was clear that I really had as little experiences that I had, that I don't think anyone would have got on the boat with me. And so <laughs> I really kind of just faked it till I made it type yeah. scenario. I mean, you know, I read a lot of books and, you know, I, you know, I had, you know, I had a trailer sailor and I, I sort of knew, I knew the mechanics of sailing well. I can, you know, I'm fairly handy mechanically and electric, electronics and electrical gear. So I felt that there wasn't any aspect of, you know, maintenance and operation of the vessel that, you know, I wasn't capable of handling. Um, and from there it's, it's really, I guess, a, a matter of, you know, you know, picking a yacht and getting it ready for the trip and, and, and then sailing it back and having crew to be able to handle it and, and manage all that sort of thing. And, and a big part of it's all like provisioning and risk mitigation, which, you know, it's, it's important. Um, but you know, you just bring enough food for the trip and usually you over, overdo it the first few times and you get better at it as you go. Like as in you take too much food on? Yeah, you sort of yeah, yeah. try and count every scenario and um, over overstock the food. Um, and then there's risk mitigation, which is, you know, just trying to find ways to like, um, you know, you, for, knowing what the big risks are, which is like if you're in the ocean and you're at sea and you basically become off your yacht and if nobody sees you then mm. you're basically dead mm. um so you may as well look at the edge of the boat when you know at night time when you're on a watch shift as being like the, the edge of a skyscraper um but a skyscraper death will be much quicker um and then you know when you're doing things you you know you know strapping yourself in at the right times and stuff so i sort of you know i thought about it as much as i could and i had a little of a theory in my head and exactly how we would do it and then my dad was actually over in the Caribbean at the time and we sort of had tentatively decided to look at boats. Um, when I say look, we look at boats, I looked online, I sent him a say, can you go look at this boat for me? Yeah. And then he'd go check it out. And eventually we, we sort of found a boat. It was good because I actually bought the ticket like a year before I left and I just knew that I had to be over here and have a boat at this time. Oh, right. That's yeah. Cool. That's, yeah, that's it. <laughs> and it was, so I was kind of like, I was pretty motivated and, and I told the, the sellers that too, like... 
I'm not messing around here. I'm, I'm getting a boat. I'm sailing it back. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, we found, eventually found something within sort of two months of my arriving over there that well, we thought sort of fit with the bill and made a negotiation, put the offer down, settled it and moved forward. I did spend more than I, I planned to and uh, that sort of took a bit from the overall budget. And I also went in with a schedule that was like totally optimistic. I had said to my employer, I said, look, I'm going to go. I'm going to, it'll take me about three months. <laughs> yeah. So anyway, that's pretty, pretty hilariously funny now when I look back at it. <laughs> uh, and then they said, oh, that's all right. They'll wait for me. But, um, and then I sort of, it was sort of hard to find crew that would come over and do it with me because, you know, everyone's got jobs and lives. But I had another guy that was sort of helping me out in the project. He was an older guy. He was sort of retired and he really wanted to do the trip. Um, so he was sort of there and I had him locked in. But he said, we have to have at least two other crew members just to split the watch shifts three ways. And so I had to find a, another person and I ended up with another mate who was flexible. He wasn't working at the time. So he, he put his hand up and said, yeah, I'll come with you. Um, it was probably one of the hardest things I've done in my life, to be honest. Like, you know, you go in there with a the theory. Um, I was trying to keep the schedule. Like it was, I don't know, you watch those um, building shows, you know, where people are trying to do things in a time schedule and mm. when, you know, shit goes wrong and it just becomes, everything escalates and it was just, it was really hard to get started and to get going because I was trying to keep to an unrealistic schedule. Yeah, do you think because you had that schedule, like if you had an open-ended trip that the the uh, issues that you ran into would have seemed like far less sort of thing or like... You're obviously going to encounter the same problems, but your ability to sort of tackle the tackle the problem with more time. Yeah, hundred uh, percent. And and I there was you know things that you know I had to. There's a lot of concessions that had to be made. If I had to, if I did it again, definitely just don't have a schedule. Have mm. or have like a year or two years, you know, if mm. you can. Um, and then you get to experience more of the good stuff. Yeah. Um, not to say that I didn't get like a lot of awesome experiences and have like some pretty awesome adventures along the way, um, but that the pressure's hard. It's hard on the crew, and then when you're in a small space with the crew mm. for for a long period of time, then it's um, you know it's you get that kind of cabin fever type thing. You know, it's yeah. like being in a, it's like a tight house, like a you know like seriously like the the square meterage of the boat is 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 less than a single room because really, what it was a beneteau 40 uh, yeah beneteau yep. oceanus 400 yeah yeah that's so so, 40 foot yeah 40 foot but then that 40 foot is you've got obviously your your deck space oh sorry your saloon at the back yep so you've got the cockpit right at the stern yep then um you have a sort of saloon in the mid midship mm -hmm. and then uh underneath the cockpit you've got two cabins uh and then at at, at the bow um, you have another cabin, which is sort of like the master cabin. Yeah. And then and then two bathrooms. But, you know, like length end to end, the ship is, you know, 12, 12 meters long. Yeah. Um, and I think it's about th two and a half, three meters wide. I'd have to double check maybe at three meters. Yeah. Um, and then you've got the tapering in and along, along the, the length of the hull. So, so what, how long was the entire trip from once you got on the boat oh got on the yacht sorry until you got back to the gold coast i think it took five months in the end yeah 
So yeah. five months on a 12 meter vessel. Yeah. Yeah. And then you've obviously started in the Caribbean. Where did you go to next from there? So, so we started off in Martinique, which is sort of, it's on the Leeward Islands on the, um, so it's basically on the Western side of the Caribbean. Um, our, then we went to uh, the ABC Islands, Aruba, Curacao, um, Bonaire. Um, and then we went straight from there to um, Panama. Mm-hmm. And that's where we crossed on the, on the canal. So how, how far from the ABC Islands to Panama? Well, well like in, in, in uh, time, not... I'd not, say not about uh, five days at yep. sea. Yeah. yeah. The majority of the way back, because we were in a hurry, we, we probably spent more time at sea than what we did on land. Right. Um, yeah, so I'd probably, I guesstimate distances in, in time. It's usually in, in, you know, between islands, it's... Between hops, it was usually about five days, and mm. and in in those five ones. days, because you you like having shifts, obviously for who's because you you've got autopilot, yeah. Mm-hmm. So essentially, it's kind of just keeping you on course, and you've got your your sail to a certain amount that will won't obviously pull you too quick or catch too much air. Yeah, constantly adjusting the weather, the wind direction never really seems to stay the same and strength for for a very long time i mean even in the trade winds uh which you have um most of the way most of the way that which we had back the direction's always changing by a certain amount day and night and then night time often you get squalls coming through yeah um and, and a squall being oh uh, sort of just like little mini systems like storms yeah you'll see them on the radar usually like they'll just be like a a patch of colors on the radar and then after a while you kind of get used to them you know that when they when they get close to you then the wind's gonna kind of pick up and then shift to one side and then you go through it and then that you might it sort of drop off when you get to the center if you do get the center or whatever and then it'll sort of pick back up and then they'll go past and then the wind will return to back to what it was before the storm yeah came through but usually it always picks up so that's your opportunity usually the radar alarm will go off it'll give you like an hour's notice or something to say oh we're going to go through another squall so then you sort of go, okay, well, you know, if, if the wind picks up by another five knots, you know, do I have too much canvas out? Do I need to, you know, drop a bit to, you know, get through the squall? You sort of, you get into a routine. And, and and that's kind of thing, one thing that I do miss about it. Like you get, you really get to know the boat, you get to know the sounds, you get to know, it's a very, very close relationship with the sea and, and, and the boat. And so often, sometimes I get opportunities to go on boats. I'm always like, you're going to do a passage. I want to get back out there. So yeah. you get like 24 hours from land, like you can just not see another ship for, for five days, you know, like yeah. it's just that far remote and you just yourself and the sky and, and the ocean. Yeah, it's quite nice. I, 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 something grew to me about it, although it's, it can be a little bit like Groundhog Day sometimes, but you just sort of, you find a comfortable place in that, that, that space. Yeah. To hear your stories when you were saying how like at night or whatever, if the ocean had calmed off and you're almost, you're getting the reflection of the stars in the ocean. Like that's something that not many people would get to experience. And the bioluminescent algae and stuff, like that's just crazy. And it, it, it's a limited amount of people that would get to see that. Like, Yeah, it's like, yeah, it's at the time, you know, I guess maybe you become sensitized with not seeing much for a while, but it felt like life of pie, you know, when the, yeah. they have that night time at sea and you, and you see like, you know, these sort of glowing jellyfish and the algae coming off the, off the thing. And then, and then so much algae that, you know, we, we had some days where there was just no wind at all. And it was just, just like a mill pond. It was flat. There was such a, I've got photos where I've taken like mirror reflections of me against the water and, and they they are beautifully spectacular, except 
the worst thing about it is then you can hear the engine running because that's the only way to move yeah forward. yeah because you're under motor obviously to yeah, it's still progress yeah but we did have one episode actually um there's a lot of stories in like sub stories within mm. this but i remember we heading to cook islands and um and we had all of the way to that point we had such reliable winds that we sort of got a little bit relaxed about fuel provisioning like because you know you got such reliable winds all the time you're sort of only really using fuel you know to to get out of port and to get get back into port but then we're heading sort of further south and we're getting out of the re- really reliable trades and then we had a number of squalls and the wind going in different directions and we ended up burning a lot more fuel than we expected so then we had one of these mill pond days and it was it was absolutely beautiful but we realized that we did not have enough fuel to get to where we need to go to. Yeah, right. So we'd sort of reserved to the fact that, well, we stop the motor and just bob around until, um, you know, and, until we get some wind and, and mm. then we do it. And we just need to keep enough fuel to, to get into port of the next spot. And I was just, I had the satellite text messaging service and I was text messaging my dad and I was like, yeah, so we've got no wind, we're gonna do. And he goes, oh, I chucked the, chuck the dinghy motor on. I'm like, it's like a 2.5 horsepower <laughs> to like, um, like little four stroke motor. And I'm just like, yeah, right, whatever. <laughs> I think he said, also said like, oh, eat some beans. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm just, I thought he's taking the piss. He's like, oh, you know, you'd be surprised. I'm like, it's a freaking 12 meter boat, like, you know, two tons. Yeah. What the hell is this thing going to do? With it? And I thought, oh, I'll g- give it a go. So I got roped it up to swim ladder on the, on the sugar scoop. And um, yeah, fair enough. Like I had a bit of a, bit of a jury rig type situation with ropes hanging on to it another rope in case it fell off and yeah all clipped on and yeah started that little little thing up and and then what do you know because there was just no wind or anything like that it was pushing us along at like three knots yeah right yeah so we did like a big like we just kept changing the fuel like we had quite a lot of um uh, two stroke yeah but just not much diesel left and it just just motor us along as much as we needed to until we got to the thing. So that's unreal. Eh? Yeah. That's so those those little sort of yeah, you you get put a lot, given a lot of challenges and and sometimes you just sort of have to yeah, come up with interesting solutions to try and solve them, which is yeah. kind of a cool aspect. And to have like I guess the the non option the the fact that you're sitting out at sea, there's no wind and there's nothing around. Like like on a five-day sail if you're halfway through like that's a long distance away from where you need to be yeah oh the longest i think the longest trip we did was um 21 days wow yeah that was from galapagos and and we didn't even mean to go to galapagos i actually got in there with man flu as a medical condition (laughs) really yeah so we the problem with going to galapagos right is that they have like really high like sort of environmental laws and you know and and all this stuff. so before you go you got to have your boat like professionally cleaned in ecuador or whatever and get a certificate for it and then you get there and um you know they all these different quarantine measures and stuff like that and, and we sort of we had come across when we first left panama we had it, it, the first part of the league to 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 do the really big crossing was pretty well disaster i'll even go back further than that we had big electrical storms because when you're near the equator you get what they call the ITCZ, which is an uh, in, intercontinental convergence zone. And this is basically um, just randomized weather, like freak storms and electrical storms and all kinds of shit going crazy. It does shift sort of north and south depending on the time of year, but we've sort of had it right over us. And we had some really big like lightning storms. And at one point we actually got struck. I, I think we may have got struck. We had lightning strike nearby, but then we lost all the electronics on board. And we're only like a couple of days out of what was meant to be like a, a month-long passage all the way from Panama to Marquesas. 
and we lost autopilot. Um, then instruments weren't working, all kinds of stuff was going on. And, um, and of course, you know, I was trying to keep to my freaking schedule, which was um, <laughs> like, you know, crew were like, you know, up in arms, like, what are we going to do? We should turn back, get it all fixed. You know, we're only a few days out now. And I um, um, said, look, just, we just, um, we'll keep going, think about it. We'll try and come up with solutions and try and figure it out. Um, so, you know, it was 24 hours of kind of, you know, frantically, um, you know, texting and messages on the satellite service and getting people to look up information about the different devices we had and, and, and how we could resolve it or what we could do. And, and, you know, about 24 hours later, we actually got, we got the systems all back online. You know, yeah. um, I don't know, like the, obviously the devices weren't completely stuffed, but um, there was, I don't know, maybe uh, we think maybe that there was an item that was put next to the, um, they have like a flux compass to actually tell it. And we think that maybe because the guy's cabin that was in there, he had like a dive um, thing and it was like a big metal object. Yeah. And then it may have like got next to the, not got ne- not yeah, next to the compass so, yeah. and then put the whole thing out. Yeah, and, put it out. Yeah. Uh, anyway, so it was a long troubleshooting experience trying to get all that stuff um, sorted out. But we, all, we got it back online. So I'm glad we didn't turn back. Uh, but we were getting tired because we had the storms and then we also had some leaks in the top deck of the boat. So we're getting wet and um, it was just constant rain and high humidity. And um, and then I think the, the wind was so unpredictable that we ended up, you know, tearing one of our sails. And then we started getting sick on board mm. and um, coming down with like kind of um, uh, man flu. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, so... And I was, I was feeling like, you know, that I, I was getting, I was worried that I was getting a chest infection because I have a bit of a habit of, or a bit of a history of, you know, uh, getting chest infections and then yep. them not going away till I get antibiotics. So, um, yeah, we, we, I sort of, you know, we went into Galapagos. We didn't know where we're going. We dropped down, you know, we sort of just went in next to an island and we dropped anchor and I'm just, we're on the radio, like, you know, um, you know, Harbour Master, Harbour Master, just draw on my drone. That. <laughs> that's right oh shit like you know and, and nobody's answering yeah and and for ages nobody was answering but then eventually someone got on the on the radio they're like oh i'm an agent because they also use agents for doing all of the you know there's a whole bunch of different layers of things to get in there like you yeah. have to use an agent you have to use a cleaning company you have to do all this stuff all these hoops to jump through to go you know for the privilege of going to go see galapagos that's yep. why it's very expensive the whole process so we didn't want to do it but at this point you know my, my life was in danger. Yeah, yeah. Because <laughs> most most people, like even myself, when you think about a sailing trip, you're kind of like, oh yeah, jump in the boat, sail around some islands, do some swimming, take a couple pics. Like it, it seems quite cruisy, but then even like going through Panama, you you're paying money for the passage because it's essentially like it's like going on on the the Logan motorway or something that you're you're paying a toll essentially mm. so how does that and this is prior to Galapagos sorry but how does that operate because they they sort of they fill one section let you pass through and then fill it fill it again is that correct yeah so they have a number of locks yeah and then they have basically like a big freshwater lake in the middle between the two sets of locks mm-hmm. um so there's also there's also a pretty interesting story about this one too. Do you want me to finish Galapagos first? Sure. Yeah, go, and then, go for and then, it. Yeah, and I'll tell you yeah. about Panama. Like, yeah. seriously, I don't do things by half. Like, everything that I do is hilarious. <laughs> yeah, Galapagos hilarious. first. <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah. So it's going back to the fact that it's you know, really hard to get in. And we got a drop down card. Local 
Coast Guard didn't want to talk to us. This agent gets on the radio. He's like, okay, look, um, I can I can talk to the Coast Guard for you. And I'm like, why aren't answering? They're like, they won't answer you. You're not meant to check in here. Like it's not, it's illegal to check in here. Right. Um, I'm like, oh, this is a medical condition. You know, I need antibiotics. I need to get medical assistance. Um, so anyway, they sent out their Navy. And the Navy <laughs> came and boarded my ship, right? Yeah. And they're like, and I'm like, oh, look, you know, my chest, I got like, coughing and stuff. You know, it's really bad. <laughs> and so, and anyway, look, and they, so they, anyway, they ended up negotiating, say, look, you have to get a permit. You can't come on the island without a permit. We won't check you in. Um, and they're like, you know, it was like 300 bucks per person, which is absolutely a bargain. Like, you know, people are talking, you know, you're spending thousands and thousands of dollars to get your boat over there with all the agent fees and stuff like that. Mm. And um, I was tired and whatever else. And I was like, yeah, all right, fine. And they gave us like five day passes. And so we're like, cool. I went into doctors, you know, to get the medical evaluation. And the doctor's like, you got the flu. What can I tell you? <laughs> <laughs> there's nothing, there's no, the flu, it's a virus. You're not going to, you don't need antibiotics. Yeah. No, but it just, I'm like, ah. Oh. Well, I feel like the fool, but hey, we're in Galapagos. What do we do? <laughs> so if you want to get into the Galapagos. <laughs> yeah, that's right. So I, I don't know. We got in there on the skin of our teeth. And it was amazing there. Like, it was really good. Mm. Um, you know, like, they're just oh, they're, the nature and everything. It's just a totally unique place in the world. And it worked out really well. And my boat was pretty clean anyway. They put did to put divers on to make sure I wasn't making any contaminations or anything. And This is in regards to, like, barnacles and stuff like yeah, that? Yeah, like biosecurity. They want to have everything locked down because they don't want to affect the, the ecology of the island. Yeah. And um, But, yeah, no, they came out. They said, there's no problems. Your boat's really clean. So, yeah, um, yeah I don't have to feel guilty about that. <laughs> uh, but anyway, so, yeah, we, we had that. Um, and we got to go to Sea to Galapagos. And it was a nice stop off, a break. You know, we'd been a, a week or sea or whatever to get there. And um, Otherwise, yeah, we would have completely missed it. So I'm glad that we did. Yeah. So going back to Panama going back a little bit further yeah and uh and so the way you get across the canal is there's a bit of a process too they want you to get agents and, and whatever else but actually i might go to the bathroom first and then we'll yeah yeah no drama. Then, then we'll go to panama <laughs> we're back <laughs> talking about the panama canal yeah so yeah as always i always fail spectacularly at doing things but this was no no exception to the rule <laughs> The deal is when you cross the Panama Canal, you have to get, well, generally speaking, you get an agent, um, you contact the canal authority, you um, you have to get particular ropes and, um, and fenders uh, on board to uh, prepare for the trip. And they might put you across in a few different, there's a few different configurations to how they might put you across. At the end of the day, the big boats that are going through you know, container ships, massive boats, they're paying a couple of million dollars to get through. You're paying a couple of thousand dollars. You're sort of the bottom end priority for them. So they just make sure that you've got every every detail. You need enough people on board to handle the lines. Uh, and then your boat has to be measured and, and everything has to be assessed by a canal agent before. Um, and then they'll put like a, it's not really a pilot, it's kind of a an agent on board that, is going to be on the boat and, and to do, do the traverse and guide you through it. So one of the things you can do is there's actually like a website where you can get like backpackers to like, they want to have like an experience of crossing the canal and you can just put an ad on the website and then they might be in Panama and go, Hey, this is a really good way to see the canal. So they'll actually like volunteer as line handlers. So I put a thing on there. Like I'm just doing everything on the cheap as you do. Cause 
everything was always over budget and yeah. spending too much money and why pay more if you don't have to so I did get a couple I got a French couple and um, they wanted to you know put their hand up to come come on board and help me out and I said yeah cool and they're like oh you know only thing is we're we're flying out like the day after you get across the canal mm. or the day after you're leaving to do the canal and I'm like yeah I don't see why that'll be a problem you know we're leaving like we've already got the news we're leaving like first thing in the morning you know it'll be you know we should be well across by then um so yeah anyway they came aboard to hide all the gear and then we set off to go across and basically the way the canal works is you've got like three locks at the start um and then they have a few different configurations for how they'll get you across you might be going across by yourself in which case you need to have line handlers and throw lines to either side of the canal because what happens is when the canals start filling up with water, it gets turbulence in there. Mm. And that turbulence will sort of send the boat everywhere. So you've got to be secured from both sides. Yep. Another way is if there's multiple boats, they'll tie the boats next to each other. And then there'll be just, you know, the boat in the middle, if there's like three boats next to each other, boat in the middle doesn't do anything. It just ties up to those two. Yeah. And the other ones are sort of grabbing the lines and passing them to the... So those lines that are going out to the sides, are there people along the entire canal, the lock section holding onto ropes to stabilize your boat essentially that's right so you'll have the line handlers on the outside which are the canal provides mm -hmm. and they kind of they they walk along the edge of the canal and then they throw often they're throwing the lines to you they use what they call mon monkey fists which is like a particular kind of a knot that you do in a rope and they're quite hard so you don't want to let it hit you when it comes across but they'll throw yeah. that over to you and it'll sort of, they're pretty good at it, and they'll land on your boat, and you grab it, and then you pull pull the line out and then lock it on, and they'll hold it, and then they'll walk forward with it through each of the yep. each of the different locks. And then the locks, they fill up with water, and then you go to the next lock and fill up with water. And it brings you up to the level of the um, uh, of the lake in, that's in the, in the middle there. Yeah. And then you, we spent the night, and at this point we'd spoken to kind of the pilot, kind of agent guy that we had staying on board the boat, and we're like, oh, you know, we just got to be back by like, you know, five o'clock the next day or whatever and he's kind of like no you won't be back by then <laughs> and i'm like what I've got, I've got these french people they're like flying back to france tomorrow you know why not it's like oh just it just doesn't happen you won't you won't get back that quickly and i'm like oh, holy crap i just i just told these people that you know that it wouldn't be an issue that we'll be back there and now they think that like, they're going to miss their flight like, oh, Carl, you've done it again. You just totally jumped to conclusions and then made like a bad assessment. And then so that whole night I was like, we spent, you spend the night at the top on the lake before getting away the next day. And I was kind of just like, oh, what can we do? Like, um, here's your, my phone. You're like, can you call your airline, see what we can do and organize it? I felt so bad. And uh, so we got we got a ticket we had to follow this other boat and we've been given a slot to get through the other side by the next time the next morning comes through and we were sort of following this boat and i remember you know we they're not going to wait for you they these big boats are paying 200 dollars they'll just if you don't not there in time they'll just slot you in for the next boat and i just had to get there as quick as i could to increase the chances that we get these people across and i remember probably about halfway across you know you're sort of weaving through all these different rivers and stuff all the, all the way through there and um and that other boat was like looking like they were going to be there before us and that we're going to have to get the next slot so the 
agent that I had on board was kind of like, yeah, look, it, it doesn't look like you're going to get there in time. And I just went bullshit. And I just put, put it down. I was like, you know, <laughs> three and a half thousand RPM on this tractor motor, Four you know, in the boat, just like doing seven to eight knots, just <laughs> going there. And, and he's like, I, we, we, I was pushing it for a long time. Like maybe, I don't know, like an hour or so, like just really, really like determined to get yeah. there on time. And then he kind of turned to me and he's like, just shook his head. Like, you're not going to get there. Like, as in, like, give up. And I'm just like, no. Nah. Determined. I'm just doing this. I can't. I can't be the idiot <laughs> that causes these guys to miss their flight. And I just kept motoring as fast as I could all along the way. And even when they sort of basically told me to turn back, I just kept going. <laughs> and then I just I just got into the lock behind the boat. Yeah. And I was already there. How good. I couldn't, couldn't do it. And then we ended up, um, yeah, so then we went down. And, and this is kind of where shit gets interesting because... Like we had, we were sort of, we had this fishing boat that we were supposed to tie up to. They were going down the wall and we're supposed to tie up to them. Yeah. So we came in and when you, on the last three locks coming out of the canal, you sort of have a, a bit of a current, like a tail current coming through because the water's always sort of leaking through as, as it goes in. Mm. Um, so we got to the first one and I think we had George, he's the older guy and he's yep. meant to throw the rope to this fishing boat who's tied up to the wall and then we go down with them and then he went to do the throw and he didn't quite he couldn't quite get it far enough um and then it went into the water and then actually there was no one the, the, the guys in the fishing boat didn't even have someone there to catch the rope like, right they were just doing their own thing they weren't you know we needed someone there as well and but we got the front rope tied on and then the, the stern of Geronimo flies around and then the anchor goes and then takes it, puts a big scratch up the front of this fishing boat. Really? Yeah. And so I'm like, oh, crap, this is going to be like insurance papers changing <laughs> stuff or whatever. And, and uh, anyway, we ended up getting tied up and it was a big fiasco and everyone's like, you know, throwing their arms in the air because um, we got, you know, the stern, we got the bow tied up, but not the stern. We had a tail current. It just swung the boat around and we just sort of didn't really have much control after that point. Yeah. Just bring, bring this up a little bit. Yeah. And uh, that. Then we sort of, um, we got through that one and whatever, no one was talking yet about, you know, what the damage we did, but, you know, I was feeling pretty rubbish. And then we got to the next one and we totally aced it. Just went yeah. in totally smoothly. I'm like, that's it. I got it under control. We've got it down. The ship's running perfectly. <laughs> got it sorted. Yeah. Um, but one of the other issues was, is the, the French girl we had on board, she was tiny. There's like no way she could even pick up the ropes, you know, like these are really big ropes here mm. as well. Then we get to the, to the last lock and this is kind of the, this is the the main fair of the whole thing. Like this is where the tourists come and they're all up there with, you know, their cameras and they've got a big viewing deck watching the boats go through, you know, as part of the tourist attraction. that they're Yeah. Yeah. And uh, this was had the strongest tail current and we came up to the fishing boat this time and we had the biggest, stronger guy on the back um, ready to, to throw the rope. And again, he just, he just, fumbled it and it fell into the water and again we got the bow tied up and then we're swinging around but we've got a lot more current in this lock then we've got the big ship in there and they're not going to wait for us to try and get it sorted out so everyone's kind of like running around like even the line handles on the thing with the hands in the air like like quickly quickly get to the side do something and i'm like kind of in reverse doing circles in the middle of the panama canal you know under this viewing platform you know and then <laughs> the water starts coming in and I was just like, oh no, this is going to be the worst thing ever. And eventually, <laughs> I managed to get, um, get, get up by the wall, 
and usually for a mono hull they don't recommend doing going down the wall because you know you can but it wasn't an issue for us and eventually we got there reversed all the way up and there's a line handle right there and they got it both rope through to me um then the final locks over and i was out of there with the with the stick down again and, yeah yeah and i think i think they got they got they got to their flight with about an hour to spare I think. really so, yeah wow, wow. it was just and it was such a relief to have it all over they would have jumped in their flights without fingernails just <laughs> yeah totally like i was already like apologized like it was from what the first agent said it was a sure deal uh, that's awesome though because yeah. like Obviously, the fact that they got to their flights, great. But the fact that they have that story then to share of like how they've just got there with the skin of their teeth. That, <laughs> yeah. That's so cool, yeah. Yeah. So so once you end. once you leave the Panama Canal, does it just open up to ocean again? So there's a little bit of a, um, I guess, kind of an estuary type area, um, maybe for a kilometer or two. Mm-hmm. Going, and then you go sort of get to Panama City area. Yeah, and then you've got like a whole bunch of marinas and stuff, and then you've got Pacific Ocean. Yeah, yeah, because you had your brother on at this stage through the passage, or was that once you got to Panama? Uh, so, so actually, on board at this point, I have my son, who's yeah. uh, my son who was ten years old at the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah, <laughs> and uh, and then also the uh, older gentleman and 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 the younger gentleman. Yeah, because yeah. that to have your son on for sections of it, because he got he got pretty seasick at stages. Hey. But yeah. like, understand how how old was he at the time? Yeah, he was 10, 10, 10. years old at the time. Yeah, that's that's wild. I he had the option to fly back from Panama. Yeah, because uh, my wife at the time was in. Um, she was flying through Panama. She jumped off at Curacao, and um, and he was seasick for like a couple of weeks straight. You know, really? like there's no way I would have expected him to continue on yeah so I, I was sure that he was going to leave at panama but he just he wanted to he really wanted to get to bora bora that was yeah. his, like he saw all the pictures and how yeah. beautiful it was and, <laughs> and he didn't want to miss that so yeah. uh, i was like pretty amazed that he he, he stuck it through yeah yeah that's some grit mm. just hanging on for, yeah. for what he's seen on google images or whatever <laughs> yeah totally so what what's it like rocking up to somewhere like that where it's essentially like the ideal honeymoon destination or something and you you pulling up to this crystal clear water and like for any for anyone that hasn't been overseas or even to like great barrier reef and stuff it's it's unreal like it, it's so almost hard to explain like i know we went up to yapoon um started last year and they've got a lot of islands around there and reef and stuff because it's kind of the the south end of the barrier reef and yeah, it's just it's so hard to explain. the The water clarity is just it, it it is like totally picturesque and amazing, and um, you can see why it is such a like a holiday sort of honeymoon destination. But for us, I don't. There were some good parts about Bora Bora, but I'd have to say, and this is my son, my ten year old son at the time. There was an island, um, I think it was northwest of um, Fakahava. Mm-hmm. That's not a swear word. That's an island name, <laughs> and um, and it was called T T K T E K E I. I think it's spelled right. And it was just it was a deserted island, and it was very hard to try and land on. So it was if you imagine the marine profile being like a a tabletop mountain with sheer cliffs on all sides. So you're talking like hundreds of meters of water to like nothing, but there was just one side that had a reef on it that you could sort of just kind of get anchored to. But then to land on that island, um, you sort of had like a, a big sort of 
a bit of a ledge with the waves breaking onto it with this sort of volcanic, really sharp rock. And we didn't know anything about the island at the time. We just had some time to kill. And we knew that if we kept going, we were trying to get to Whakahava, uh, but we didn't want to land at night because, you know, it's all reefs and stuff. And that was sort of one of the risk mitigation rules that we had from the beginning is we just don't go into um, ports at night time. Yep. We can avoid it. So we just went to kill some time there so that our ETA would be during the day. And uh, that was actually the most fun place because it was because it was such a hard place to get to that it was just so natural and untouched. Like there was just like so many rock pools just like full of these like snowflake eels and stuff like everywhere. And um, there were so many coconut crabs. It was just teeming with so much with, with life, you know. Mm. It, was, um, it was pretty special. And then we had the whole island to ourselves. It was just like a little deserted island kind of amazing sort of experience you know? yeah yeah it must be so hard for like for almost half a year to to summarize that into like your your favorite like there must be so many favorite um memories that you have from that trip like the in and going from island to island there would have been something that you enjoyed on one particular place and then go to the next one as well like do you, do you have any standouts that like either recommendation that someone should travel there like Bora Bora or is it is it just like it's an unreal experience and you recommend for people just to go buy a sailboat <laughs> I guess one of the hardest things about French Polynesia was just it was so expensive like even if you know eating out is just phenomenal you know like you'd spend you know hundreds of dollars for, for a meal and even at the supermarkets buying food and cooking on board and alcohol and everything was and most of the way through the Pacific it is quite a expensive anything that's imported at least yeah and that's pretty well most of what you and i usually eat anyway uh but you know the water is very clear it's very beautiful i i rate Fakahava above um bora 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 mm-hmm. bora was nice they had some really nice snorkeling destinations but it's really like you know it's your tourist capital yeah you know? and yeah. it's similar to tahiti and stuff kind of like commercialized yeah. or you know, going somewhere a bit less you know low, lower key or whatever um, we definitely like the lower key places that you know we could get to off off the um, beaten path, mm-hmm. um, trodden path, I should say. Um, but I guess like most of the you know the the experiences make the location as well. You know, it's not just about the destination; it's about the journey. And yeah, um, absolutely recommend like anywhere in the Pacific is um, you know the water, the clarity is amazing. Um, in French Polynesia, like they get really small tides, like if any at all. So like people just build like, you know, have your jetties. It's just always like right next to the water. Yeah, that's cool. Yeah. Um, so it's a, it's a different different experience. Um, so going from essentially working back from the seaway on the Gold Coast, where was your where was your next point that you travelled to, or, or from? Sorry. Uh, so from the Gold Coast, uh, it was um, New Caledonia. Yeah. So. Let me get to Fiji. Yeah. So this is an okay. I, I don't need to control the conversation. We'll no, go, no, go for it. No, you're this, right. is a, this is a big one. So we had a um, okay. We sort of we're skipping a few steps here. There was there was other things, but this this is a big one. So one of my crew members had been on the whole time. So, um, we went to beep not anyway. It could be, who cares? <laughs> not. We, we, <laughs> <laughs> So he'd been on board most of the time and, you know, we had our differences and it's just hard being on a small boat with people, but you somehow form a bond over that time, no matter how much they piss you off, to be honest. Yeah. Uh, and then 
we got to a spot and there was a little bit of a drama with he had his like kind of father-in-law on board at the time and and uh i was yeah if it could have gone really bad without us killing each other so anyway there was a i won't say this was a a um a turn of positive fate but yeah steve went to go dive down and check on the anchor as he does and hats off to him every time like he's He's always going to the water, check on the anchor, and that's a really good sort of safety mitigation strategy too because just make sure you've got a really good secure position um, and you can rest at night really well. Comes out and his his father-in-law kind of um, got my attention and he's kind of like, Steve, like, what's going on? And he couldn't get out of the water. And so we went, I kind of like, well, what's going on? Maybe he's got like dizzy spell or something like that. So I went down to sort of, pick him up and then we both had to get down there and we had to like pick up his entire body weight i was like wow he can't what the hell's going on and then we sort of sat him down and no word of a lie he looked like he had just had a stroke like even one of his eyes was even hanging a bit lower and then and then he kind of realized that it took him a moment he realized i can't move my arm i can't feel half my body far out and i'm like holy crap like where at this this is a remote island off Fiji. Like the charts here were not right. That they don't have electricity on this island. You know, this is as far away as a place as you could Im- imagine that you would want to be in a situation like this. We had befriended earlier that day one of the locals on the island. We went for a walk to the top of the to the top of the mountain on the island, and and he'd sort of taken us around and said, "This is the port." And I, I grabbed him and I said, "Look, you got a phone here. What what can we do?" Um, it's like, oh, we've got a phone on the island, we've got a phone on the island, um, we'll, we'll call up the um, hospital or whatever. I'm like, okay, cool, I'm going to get off the boat, jump on the dinghy, get on the island, run all the way up to the township, you know, run through the town. The other thing, oh, the phone's not working today. <laughs> I'm there, oh, okay, running back in, I'm like, fuck, if he's, if he's got a stroke, that's it, 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 it's all over. Um, and so I run back and I jump on the boat and then... And in hindsight, I probably should have done this in the first place. We hit the SOS button on the on the thing to like basically yep. set off an EPERV alarm. Because this, this is this is what my dad was receiving throughout your trip. Is that right? That's like, right. Yeah. yeah. So you're, I think your dad got a call from like some yeah like basically Carl has released an emergency beacon. Yeah, yeah. It was like a mayday, mayday. Like at so like this two in like, the morning or something. That's that's your final. Like you don't once you this you do this then that's that's your mayday. Your mayday is your final call. That's yeah. like we need assistance. There's no other ways around it. And so then we, they got in touch with us and sent us messages. And then we were speaking to I think they put us in touch with the Suva Hospital. They're asking questions about his medical state and condition. Thankfully, by the time I got back, he seemed to be recovering. And then they said, okay, there's a hospital on the island. Can you get there? And it's still, it's probably like a, a half a day for me mm. to, to get there. So we did. It doesn't have electricity, by the way. <laughs> you know, it's, we're talking like a single hut. Yeah, hospital in quotation. <laughs> <laughs> in quotation marks. Yeah. With a nurse, basically, that, that services it. And, um, and Steve, understandably, was really like, yeah, freaked out. Oh, we were all freaked out. And um, there was a bit of back and forth and chatter or whatever else and, um, you know, a bit of communication back. And then I think Suva Hospital said, look, just get a helicopter over there. So we're like really primitive sort of town. And there's like, there is a bit of a school there and, and a church is like, they have most places where the missionaries have been through and stuff. Mm-hmm. And um, there was a school f- football field 
that they had there. And um, yeah, it was interesting seeing with uh, like, you know, all the um, locals come out and like watching this helicopter come down and land on their football field and, and then pick Steve up. And thankfully he was on the mend. He was recovering by then and yeah. taking him back to the hospital for further testing. Um, and, and, and in the end, he, he came out all right. So like, that's why this, I can sort of talk about it's a good story. It was yeah. pretty full on at the time. <laughs> had, had Interesting had story. But I mean, my problem is like, yeah, I, he, I had to get rid of his father-in-law. It just, I had to. Yeah. <laughs> he was... Well, spending, spending that long on like a, a 12 meter, sport, and, and when you say 12 meters, it's not really 12 meters because that's the entire length of the boat. Like it's, it's tough enough living with people when you can go in and out of your house and stuff. Like it's only expected really, but, and then you're, I guess, balancing the dichotomy of being a captain for everyone as well as trying to maintain your friendship and stuff. Like what what's it like being that far away from home and then being like, man, this guy's giving me strife. Like, <laughs> uh, it, it doesn't take too long, but it, it, I don't know. It's, you're absolutely right. It is a huge challenge. And there was, there's interesting power dynamics that go on. And in my case, you know, I sort of went in with the attitude that like, you know, I'm a captain, I'm going to ride a, run a tight ship and, you know, I'm going to try and do everything right and take responsibility and do all the things. But ultimately they had no obligation to be there. Yeah. And I would have been left high and dry by myself if they had have decided any place to, to jump off. And yeah. I was also, you know, trying to keep to my, you know, quotation schedule, which obviously got blown out. <laughs> so in the end, I sort of really just had to mediate with everyone and, and, and then bite my tongue and just take sacrifices because, you know, I had such a, a, a huge investment yeah. depending on them to get me back. And, yeah. and, and that's how the dynamic changed after a while. Um, so actually that all came to a climax when Steve and his father-in-law jumped on the helicopter because, you know, in some ways that I'd sort of grown to really respect him and, and care about him like a brother and depend on him for so long for the entire trip. He'd been there since the beginning mm. and he was gone and I was left on the boat by myself to get back. And I had maybe someone lined up in New Caledonia and that was it. I had to, I was going to do a week at sea, so single handed back to Caledonia. And was I ready for it? You know, like I had all this stuff going through my head. It was really, really like emotional experience for me. Like just really reckoning with, you know, my own confidence and something that I sort of thought wasn't sure that I'd be ready for. Yeah. To be honest. Yeah. And to be balancing going from having shifts to essentially that, yeah, you have to man this, this vessel by yourself. Absolutely. That was, yeah, it was terrifying, you know, like at least I could, I slept well when Steve was behind the helm, you know? Mm, mm. Um, and then I knew that someone else always had the eyes open and stuff. But anyway, as it turns out, like my brother found out about what happened and, um, and he put his hand up and said, look, I'll, I'll fly over to Suva immediately and I'll meet you there. So I had about a day's sail single-handed to Suva and it was actually really good. I actually, it was nice to have a new face. Yeah. Uh, you know, total respect. To um, but it was just, you know, changes as good as a holiday, I guess. And, uh, yeah. and then have my brother on board, you know, it was, it was a really great experience. And, 
um, they're not yeah we sort of had a big night and super as you do and <laughs> catch up and drinks yeah. and everything and, yeah. and left port the next day very hungover and thinking about what we'd forgotten and what we'd forgotten was we had... it was it super that he ended up in the Macca's or um, was that that was in New Caledonia oh that was New Caledonia <laughs> so, so we went we went we went did the sail through and it was a pretty uneventful like but the seas are sort of getting a bit like less predictable the further south we go and yep. getting a bit big, bigger weather and bigger waves and and whatnot so he was a little bit nervous part of the way and then he sort of started to chill into it and we we got to new caledonia and my, like my old best mate you know, you know since i was like three or four years old he he we'd, we'd pre-arranged this he flew over and then my brother yeah. was there he was there and yeah we had a big night in the town <laughs> and then i think i woke up in the morning i'm like oh where's jay oh yeah did, we, did he come yeah. back with us like what, what the hell happened and we got no idea and i'm like oh gee we're gonna go find him or whatever and I don't know, or should I just go back to bed? I can't remember. <laughs> and then eventually, I don't know whether he turned up or we found him. Or the details are a bit fuzzy. So it was my head at the time. But um, turns out, I think he was sleeping in Macca's car park. I think he, <laughs> he went like for a midnight like snack attack and then just like got there and realized that it it wasn't open and then yeah. just wait there for a bit longer. And yeah, wait it out to break him in. That's awesome. Yeah. Anyway, it was, and it was a big one. And, and, and my mate, my other mate, good mate um, from back home, he's, you know, he's pretty straight down the line. He doesn't really go out and do much these days. And, and he had a, he had a big one. So it was kind of like old times. It was a really good night. Yeah. 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 Bring him, bring him back the um, unit crew from, <laughs> from the old days. Yeah. So New Caledonia, that a straight shot to the coast. Is that how how long is that? It's about a week again. Yeah. Seven days or something. It was actually the, the most, roughest part of the entire trip. Really. Was the last twenty four hours coming into the Gold Coast. Really. So, yeah. yeah. Right. So it started off pretty pretty average you know we had reasonably you know decent sort of i think probably had wind on the beam or slightly from behind and then we had sort of a lull in the middle and i remember you you were mentioning about the seeing the stars like not showing where the stars end because it'll bioluminescence mm. that was where i experienced that just after that wind and then we had the die down it was totally flat and then we just that was the most magnificent bioluminance of the entire trip yeah um but we did have a few little panning issues that we discovered along the way and one of them was when we were sort of sailing, uh, maybe motoring at one point through the flat area. I sort of noticed that the exhaust sounded a bit less muffled. And then I sort of put my head over and then I realized that the water had stopped. Usually you've got the water flowing through, which is cooling the raw water yeah. comes out through the exhaust. Yep. And so then we had to kill the motor and check it out. And we realized that we sort of had a pinion that was sheared that was running the raw, raw water pump. And so we sort of had the whole thing out on the table and we're sort of you know, trying to figure out, you know, what the solution is, you know, it wasn't a big deal at this point. We could just float around, but we had to obviously have it going by the time we got to the seaway. Yeah. And then I started getting messages from my dad and he said, he said there's some really serious systems coming through and that it would be like, there was, we're going to get a, um, a northerly system. I think it was like running up to, you know, sort of 35 knots and then a much stronger southerly system would come through you know broad blowing you know up to 45 five knots and yeah. that's a pretty bad situation to be in because even though it's totally flat at the moment we were going to get waves coming from the north getting as they sort of started building up swell and then overtaken by a stronger system coming from the south and the waves and the swell that it's bringing with it as well so you end up with basically two systems like kind of you know basically just smashing into each yeah, other yeah yeah um, so, but we were sort of focused at the time just on getting 
the raw water pump fixed. And so we, we kind of came up with a solution and, um, and then we sort of put it together like as best we can, just realigning some parts and just thinking like, you know, it doesn't, it doesn't have to hold forever, just get us back to port and, and whatever we do. We ran the motor for a while longer and then it, it, it stops working again. And then I was like, it was even worse because it's just sheared off more of the, of, of the, um, the connection. And, uh, and at this point, I, I think what I ended up doing was I ended up just connecting the, one of the spare bilge pumps we had to the raw water system and just using that instead. Um, and I had no idea how long it was going to work, but we didn't really have time to think about it at that point because yeah. <laughs> we just had these other systems coming through. We had to plan for them. And my dad sent me some coordinates. He said, you've got to get as far south as you can. So when the northerly system comes that you can get, you're not tacking against it. Like, right. So you just follow the, the follow, sorry, when the, follow the northerly system south, far as you can when the southerly system comes you can just do it in the straight line yeah um so that's what we're doing we're just heading like we probably could have gone like tried to go more direct to the place we're trying to go but no we we had to try and just take make the most of getting as far south so we probably ended up as far south as down as Byron. and then i remember like we could see this sort of cloud formation and it was sort of like we had clear skies over us and then there was kind of this two like rows of clouds and then like sort of dark clouds on the other side. And then as soon as we sort of pierce through what I believe would be sort of directly underneath the first row of clouds, then the wind kind of sort of spun or just sort of went like, maybe it was like 90 degrees, I don't know, but with the sails all just started flapping. And then I just started to start the motor and just like push through like this kind of line. And then we got through and then suddenly the wind is like completely flipped. Mm. And then, and then, then it got quite chaotic really. And you know, we had, because you got these two sort of swells or waves, they kind of go over the top of each other and then like double up and then like crash and then, and, and, and go down. And, and, uh, and then the gusts were crazy. Like we had like a really tiny amount of sail out. And then when the gusts come through, they were just like really pushing the boat onto, onto the gunnels. Cause you had a, you had a knockdown at some stage, didn't you? Like, did you want to explain what a knockdown is for starters? And then, yep. So, so I knocked down, Essentially, I guess it's probably defined when the mast of a sailboat hits the water. Yeah. And this is basically the the next event um, that we experienced with all of these conditions. We had sort of a fairly strong gust of wind and that had sort of pushed the boat maybe sort of, you know, to 45 degrees. And then we had a, a wave break uh, on the windward side of the boat and basically it hit the side of the hull and then pushed the boat all the way over and as my mate describes it it's when a floor becomes a wall <laughs> very quickly it yeah. happened very quickly he was in the galley at the time uh, which is uh, the kitchen of the boat and then he sort of flew right across the boat to the saloon and sort of just landed in a pile of arms and legs and I was I had I was sitting up in the cockpit and as the boat went over I was on the low side my head sort of pivoted and tilted down to see through that and then I saw him go down and I thought holy crap he's like in, he's not going to get up yeah and he did he got up and he sort of <laughs> shook himself off and then came back up and and uh, and that that's only like what within 100 kilometers of home essentially so totally yeah and uh yeah it was um really close to home 
yeah and so but then we sort of like the uh the seaway we sort of had to then consider like you know this is what the conditions are out like there and um, i'm gonna have to take a break yeah you're right. <laughs> <laughs> we're back again yep so <laughs> i guess at this point we're sort of the we're, we're anticipating the next uh challenge of of, of the seaway uh, and we had sort of, you know, we were in communication via the satellite, just text messaging services. And it's so like, you know, like, is, is there a risk? And, and I'm hearing that, yeah, the seaway can get big waves can break. And it was big out here. Like some of those waves were like as big as they look like four story buildings from where we were sitting, but you know, it's, it's really hard. Like the ocean is one of those things that like, you take a photo of it. It looks like flat as a mill pond, mm. but actually it, when you're in there and, and those things are towering over you, they, they feel really big. Uh, so we got all put our life jackets on and, and our harnesses and we we're ready to go through. And, and then as soon as we started getting close to seaway, it just, it just flattened off. So I mm. guess that the direction of the swells and whatever else there is, the Gold Coast is in a bit of a bay shape and, and there would be probably certain directions of, of swell that would particularly affect the seaway. And in this case, it was, um, it was pretty clear. So we thought we, we, we pretty well, we got through and we're going through the seaway and I've been at see for you know best part of five months we're going through on the home run and we had to go to the um to the southport yacht club they have like the big uh the big super yacht uh, yachts dock which is also the customs clearance area there and uh i remember we came in it was late and honestly we were just i i don't think we slept the night before because because we had so much hectic things going on yeah we were just at the end of our tethers and we were just so close. We came up there and, and Pete jumped off and I think we came in and I, I threw him the bow line and, you know, he grabbed it and he sort of, you know, threw it over the, the cleat on the uh, block on the other end. And and then I, I ran back to the stern and the, the boat's kind of in reverse to kind of pull us up against the current just into the thing. And then the line just sort of slipped off back into the water and I'm in reverse, like basically reversing towards like a super yacht behind me. <laughs> and suddenly I just quickly, I just jump up because I can't, if I put it into forward, I'm just going to suck the line up yeah. under into the prop, right? Yeah. So I've got to sort of just pop it into neutral and then just run up as quick as I can, grab the bow line, pull it up and then run back to the back of the boat and put it into forward before... I actually like because I, I've already got momentum going backwards towards this super yacht. Yeah. And by the time I hit forward, you know, and it's still going backwards with momentum, I was like literally inches away <laughs> from this boat. And then we got up, we did it again, we did it properly this time. We got tied up, and I just remember like thinking, "Wow, I just like to can we order Uber Eats or just eat something nice and." We figured it was impossible. There's no way that they would let him come into the custom restricted area. And then I think Pete cooked up some beans and rice and we ate it and then we just, just fell asleep. Just yeah. So you would have been so wrecked after <laughs> that. So yeah. That series of events. Like what, yeah. what was it like getting back after such a long trip? What was the things that you look forward to most? Like having, having hot showers or like, did the, did you have warm water on the boat or was it? We did uh, from the motor and, yep. uh, from if we're on shore power in a marina, which probably more often at the beginning of the trip than later on. Yeah. I guess the biggest issue was water consumption. So especially for the long trips, like heading from um, Panama and stuff, 
you know, we have like a thousand liters uh, on the boat. You know, we have three adults on board. So if you're doing like a really long passage like that, we sort of don't waste water on showers. We have special soap that will lather in salt water. You know, if you get like a day where it's like a mill pond out there, and we've done it before, you just, you jump off the back of the boat, you got the sails down, you just bob there. And it's beautiful, like having the biggest pool in the world. Yeah. And uh, and it's it's quite nice. And it's funny that, you know, you think like washing in salt water that, you know, you will never actually feel clean. Maybe it's more of a, in context of how dirty we were before, but I always felt <laughs> clean afterwards, you know. Yeah, yeah. And uh, it, was, it was better than nothing. And you could always like have like, you know, a bucket of fresh water and then just kind of do the final rinse off with that. Um, washing dishes, we'd sort of, you know, really conserve. We'd have like spray bottles with water and deter- and like a water detergent mix. Mm-hmm. And you do like your pre-rinse in salt water and then, you know, spray the detergent mix on, wash up, and then spray the sort of fresh water mix on to get it off. So you'd really want to conserve water because that's, that's a huge risk unless you've got like a desalinator or something on board. Yeah. Mm. Yeah, sick. Well, some of the questions that we've been asking our guests, uh, do you have a favorite failure or do you, do you have a failure that you've benefited from in the long run? I have a lot of hilarious failures. <laughs> uh, and I think probably in some respect, I think I benefit from all of them. Uh, definitely learn lessons. I'm not launching hot air balloons anymore. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and look like... In my opinion, you know, life's about experience, you know, and and even though I do have a have had a lot of hilarious failures, I really don't want that to stop me from experiencing and getting out there and just trying things. Sure, it might make me a bit more cautious in some respects, but um, I think that, and, and I've always believed that, you know, we're here to we're here for. A, a good time not a long time so yeah let's, uh, let's make the most of the time that we have yeah mm. that's awesome um the the secondary question we have is if you had a billboard that everyone could see what would you have on it wow that's a really good one i probably it could be an image it could be a quote it could be a billboard that everyone could see that I, like my message to everybody yeah, else yeah. kind of thing I have a sentiment in my mind. I'm just trying to think of how to articulate that. Yeah. Um, your problems are smaller than you think. I like it. <laughs> it's relevant. Yeah. Yeah. No, it's good. Hey, I mean, you haven't burned down an island, right? <laughs> <laughs> oh, but I honestly, honestly do believe that, you know, we get caught into our own realities and our own worlds mm, mm. so much that we tend to think that things are big, but actually we are so small and what we think is we know is is not what what it is and yeah it's yeah. just we just shouldn't take life so seriously yeah mm. that's it i i think i don't know if I've, I've actually said it yet but if i um if i had the same question it'd be have more fun yeah i i think it's good but i um yeah i appreciate you coming down i i think the the listeners are definitely going to want a, a Maverick 2 episode. <laughs> I still have, believe it or not, I still have quite a few like crazy, hilariously fuck-ups. Oh, yeah. To, to yeah, yeah. So. I've got plenty written down. I, I think um, getting to our getting to our two-and-a-half-hour mark, um, we'll, we'll probably wrap it up here. But, yeah, I appreciate you coming down. And it's obviously, like I was saying earlier, that it's such a cool opportunity to get someone to come down for a chat and then share i guess my 
joy of having you as a um uncle <laughs> and um yeah i um i look forward to the next episode that's been uh great thank you so much for inviting me blake i love you mate <laughs> Cheers. that's a wrap on another episode guys so thank you if you're still here sticking around it's a bit longer than our usual ones uh but once again if you can jump on spotify and apple Podcasts, rate and subscribe we'd uh really appreciate it so thanks for that and uh enjoy